Hear the word of God from Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, starting with chapter 5, verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself and Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Say that again, just because I like a little more energy in the morning. Got to wake up here. Good morning, church. That ah, feels a lot better. It's good to be with you this morning. We're continuing in our series through the book of Second Corinthians, and I hope you've enjoyed this series so far. I've loved our time in this book, and I'm looking forward to the rest of this epistle. We'll be in the book of Second Corinthians till after Thanksgiving, at which time we're going to switch over to our Advent series where we're going to look at Advent um, through the Trinity. So we're going to see the Advent through the Trinity, and I'm looking forward to that, except when I'm thinking about that now, I'm thinking, how is time going by so fast? Like, it's just so weird to me that it's now cool, and it's like about to be trunk or treat time, and Thanksgiving's right around the corner, and Christmas, I'm like, I just, I just want everything to slow down just a little bit. It's going a little too fast right now. It's a little weird. Now, I was complaining about how slow it was going when it was really hot during the summertime, so I can't be pleased. As I was reading and studying this passage in 2 Corinthians, I couldn't help but think of a concept I read about in a book. Uh, it concerns pretty much every organization at some point. One of the deepest challenges that any organization faces, it's it's one that's affected schools like Harvard and Yale, organizations like the YMCA, uh, pretty much every every church that's ever existed, is this concept that I read about called Mission Drift. You ever heard of it? There was a book that came out about it called Mission Drift. You guys, anybody heard of that before? Yeah? It was a pretty popular book. The the example they show in this book, actually, they says take Harvard, for instance. Its original mission statement was, to be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life 
and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Founded in 1636, this university employed exclusively Christian professors, emphasized character formation in its students above all else, and placed a strong emphasis on equipping ministers to share the good news. Do you guys know that every diploma read Truth for Christ and the Church? Only though, 80 years after its founding, um, a group of pastors thought it drifted so far from its mission that they started a new school that could do it better. That new school was Yale. Now, their founders of both Harvard and Yale are unmistakably clear in their goals, academic excellence and Christian formation. But it drifted away from the Christian formation part. According to Peter Greer and Chris Horst, the authors of the book Mission Drift, they said this, without careful attention, faith-based organizations will inevitably drift from their founding mission. It's that simple. It will happen. Slowly, silently, and with little fanfare. Organizations routinely drift from their original purpose, and most will never return to their original intent. Now, why do I bring this up today? Because I just want to be honest and real with all of you guys. We're just as susceptible to this as any organization there is. It's easy for us at Waypoint Church to fall into mission drift. Now, I'm not talking about God molding our vision, changing little elements of it, or clarifying it. And it is our desire as a church to always be reforming. I am talking about though how easy it is to sometimes drift away from the mission you were called to accomplish and do something else. It's easy to go from a church that looks outward to only looking inward. It's easy to drift from being a truly sacrificial to becoming a self-serving church. It's easy for us to lose sight of the vision when other goals are often easier to accomplish. And I say this in organization, I think it's also very easy individually, isn't it? It's easy for you to say, I'm gonna live for Christ. It's easy for you to say, I wanna live for others. It's easy to say, I wanna love, but it's also, you can say those things originally, but it's very easy to start drifting into, but I got goals to accomplish myself. I have other things that might take precedence at certain times. I share this with you because in order for us to not become another organization that drifts off our mission, we need constant reminders of our mission and a clear desire to stay true to it. We need to remind each other and ourselves why we exist as a church and why we are called to do what we are called to do together. At Waypoint Church, we state at the end of our worship service over and over again a simple statement. Peter said it's kind of become our mantra, our, our, our phrase that kind of, def- kind of wraps up what we want to be about and how we want to be sent out as people. We say love the triangle, love the nations. And sometimes we use the words reach the triangle, reach the nations. And the sentiment and the goal is the same. We're to love people in the triangle with the love of Christ, seeking reconciliation so that the nations will be reached with the love of Jesus. And for the sake of our mission and for practical purposes, I wanted to help define what love or reach is as the following three actions that Peter shared with him already. It's to pray, to serve, and to share. We want to love people in the triangle by praying for them, serving them, and sharing the gospel with them. So when we say love the triangle, we are, we're saying pray, serve, and share. Now, we're doing this initiative for the next few months, focusing on this, this idea, this concept of, of praying and serving and sharing. We're doing this as a combative to mission drift. 
We were doing this because we don't want to become a church that's so easy. I love in the song, um, Come That Fount, you know, where it tells us, like, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. You guys know that verse? Right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave this God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. This idea, I love how this, the, the person who wrote that song, I don't know who wrote that song, but really captured so perfectly our heart's desire, our heart's nature to drift. We are prone to wander. Don't you feel it? Don't you feel it? And if you feel it, don't you think our organization as a church, our body who's made up of our people, aren't we going to do the same thing? And so this is our combative to say, you know, we don't want to wander from the God I love. We don't want to wander from the mission you've placed us, uh, placed upon us. We want, to, we want to be set apart for the purposes you set, called us to. So as our combative, we want to do this for the next few months, really kind of remind ourselves, really pour into kind of everything that we want to do. We want to wrap around this idea of loving the triangle and loving the nations. So we want to ask all of you, who are you loving in the triangle that doesn't know Jesus? Who are you praying for, serving, and sharing with? Now listen very carefully to this. This is not a message of condemnation or guilt. If that's what you feel when you hear this, please hear me clearly. That is not what I'm trying to convey to you. Doing this, this, this idea of, of, of who you're loving, this idea of, of praying for, serving, sharing, does not earn your salvation and doesn't convince God you're worth loving. He's already chosen to love you and to give his son for you. This is a way for our church and our people to avoid mission drift, for us to be excited about the fact that God has called us to the local church body to be his instruments in loving the triangle and the nations, to be his agents of reconciliation and to be his ambassadors. It reminds us, guys, that we're called his people to love others well. And we don't want to forget that because it's so easy to do. Am I right? It's so easy when you're busy raising your kids, starting to save money for their college and think about your retirement plans. It's so easy when you're worried about the next promotion. It's so easy when, when you're worried about all the other things that you have to do, all the money you have to save, all the vacations you have to go on, all the responsibilities you have. It is so easy to, to stop thinking about really the mission that God's placed upon you. To love others well. And to love him. And we just want us to be people who says, you know, God, you've used all this stuff in our life, and we want to find ways where you called us in the areas, the spheres of our lives, the circles that we're walking, and the things that you, the path that you set us on, to say, we want to just remember that you called us to love God and love others. And so this is what we're trying to do. This is our, our heart. We want to be, make sure that we, as a church, are focused on that. That's what we, who we are. That's built into our DNA, and we remember that. Amen? Amen. Does that make sense? You see, for Paul, one of the main reasons we exist is evident to see. He sums it up in one word. He uses the word reconciliation in this passage. In this passage, we have, before us, the word reconciliation appears five times. It's the theme for these verses, and it's the heart and soul, really, of what he feels is our responsibility. It's one of the greatest callings and the greatest privilege we could ever have. We're going to see in this passage that there's a lot of reconciliation, but it's really at the heart of why we exist as a church. I'll read this again. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God is reconciling. He's given us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. What exactly does that mean? What does reconciliation mean? It means to restore someone to favorable or friendly relations after a presumed wrong. It's the reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. And when Paul talks about reconciliation, he points to the biggest issue we have, the, the original point of reconciliation needed, is a state of hostility exists between God and humans, and God and man. It's the biggest problem we have to face, and God answered that problem through Jesus, reconciling us to himself, and then giving us the ministry of reconciliation. See, Paul is saying that the state of hostility existed between us and God. And the reason was Adam and Eve sinned against God, and ever since, their children have by nature resisted God's rule. The story of the Bible is a long story of our separation, our estrangement from God. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. We are natural-born enemies. Our heart's inclination is to be enemies of righteousness and of God. But, Paul says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. God has done the hard work of overcoming the hostility and bringing us back into relationship with him. It was all God's idea. He did all the work to make it possible. Usually when there's an issue, usually when there's an issue of reconciliation needed, you need a third party to come in. Guys, can I tell you, I know because I've been that third party many a times. You know, I've seen people, here's one of my favorite, by the way. When people try to seek reconciliation and they invite me in, usually the person that invites me in usually just wants me to be on their side, <laughs> right? It's usually like if there's a husband and a wife, right, and whichever one invites me in, they think they're the one in the right. So they're inviting me thinking, oh, he's gonna take my side. And I always just mess with them, be like, I think you're wrong completely. <laughs> but it's true. Usually when reconciliation needs to happen, you usually bring a third party in. You know, a marriage counselor, or a negotiator, a mediator, or the, the United Nations, if there's hostility between nations. It's usually not the wronged party who then comes forth and seeks reconciliation, right? It's usually not the wrong party, but in this case, it's the wronged party, God, who initiates action. God reconciles us to himself. Isn't that amazing? I, just, I want you to get that. The idea initially, first, is that by nature, by nature, we are estranged from God. We are fallen humans. But you don't even have to look at nature. You can just look at your own life and see how often you do what you don't want to do and don't do what you want to do. You can look at your own actions. You can look at your own thoughts. Guys, I'll be honest with you. I look at my own thoughts and sometimes like, I can't believe I'm like, ugh. Right? Isn't that what we talked about often here at Waypoint, that if we were ever truly real with ourselves, if we were ever truly known, I'm not sure if I could love myself. How amazing is it then that God, who the one who was wronged, the one who we've sinned against, the one who is righteous and holy, the only one that can really truly judge us, he's the one that sought out reconciliation with us first. In verse 21, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there's so much in this verse that we can spend hours discussing this verse alone. And one of the key elements of the gospel, just one of the key elements of the gospel, is this idea of substitution and exchange. Jesus, who never sinned, he takes our sin. He dies in our place, and in exchange, he gives us his righteousness. 
It's the most unfair trade in history. It's, it's more unfair than when the Bulls got Jordan. You know, this is one of those trades, nobody, no. But Jesus willingly made it. He takes our sin and we get his righteousness so that right now, if you have trusted Jesus, you stand before God and he looks at you and he doesn't see all that sin. Think about that. It's the most unfair trade in history where it's the very thing that separates you, the filth and the dirt and the, the, the thought life and the things that you shouldn't have done, all that is given away and placed upon the one who's never sinned before and instead what you have placed upon you is righteousness, perfect record of love and care and devotion. What an exchange. What grace, what love. And this is the whole reason we exist as a church, is at the heart of who we are. We exist because that reconciliation that happened to us, now we want others to know that the grace that was given to us, we want others to know that that same grace can be given to them because we've been reconciled with God. We want others now to be reconciled with God and with each other. If you're thinking back to mission drift, it's so easy to drift from this. The whole purpose of our existence is because we've been reconciled to God and we want others to be reconciled to God as well. We say here at Waypoint Church that we want to love the triangle and love the nations. For us, that's just another way of saying that we want people here and around the world to be reconciled to God. We want to do this relationally by sharing our lives with them and that's the whole reason we exist as a church. We do plenty of other things as well. But the reason we really exist is because we have received grace. We've been given love. We've been given the keys to the kingdom. And now we want others to receive that grace and love as well. We want the kingdom to advance for other people to know who Jesus is. We want to extend grace to those who've never heard it before. Guys, can I tell you this? For those who've truly been changed, for those who've truly experienced salvation, you can't help but want to see others saved as well. So there's a, I heard a story, and this is from a friend of mine. He used to do some work in kind of um, modern day slavery, anti-slavery, anti-trafficking. And he was telling me about this young woman who is now in her, I think, young, she's like probably in her late 20s. And she was doing the most, she, this guy was an American soldier guy that was doing work and overseas and doing anti-trafficking work, but he was saying this woman would, everywhere he would go that was dangerous, she would be there too. And she would raise a stink and campaign and she would talk to people and she would just do everything possible, dangerous situations. And he finally just stood up and said, hey, why are you doing this? I mean, I understand it's good and right for us to fight against traffic and slavery, but I can't believe like you're putting yourself at risk. How could you, why would you do this? Why are you, why are you doing this? And she said, because I was trafficked myself. She said, till I was 18 years old, but then I was rescued. I was rescued, and how could I not spend the rest of my life trying to get all the other girls who were just like me? How could I not spend the rest of my life trying to get those other girls who were just like me out of that situation? I was rescued, how could I not want to rescue others? Do you guys get it? You were rescued. You were rescued by a loving father. You're known and you're loved and you have purpose. How does that not move you to want to know that other people who are not rescued, other people who are blind, other people who are sick, other people who are dying, who are in captivity, how does that want not, you were taken out of that. Go share that with them. 
See, the ones who truly know what they're taking out of are the ones who know that they want to rescue others as well. There's three changes I want us to make. They're not changes, but three concepts I want us to make sure we stick with at Waypoint Church that really, that's from this passage that I want us to be, really capture our hearts and be a hold of. Three practical things in this passage I want us to do. One, I want to make sure the love of Christ compels us. Verse 14 says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all die. The word compelled here is a strong one. One translation says, the love of Christ leaves me no other option but to live for him. What is it that compels us? Not guilt, not obligation, not an earning of salvation or earning of a good stead before God. What compels us is the love of Jesus. One of the keys to keeping Christ's mission at the heart of our church is to keep the love of Jesus at the heart of our church. When we realize how much God loves the people around us, we really have no choice but to live for him and his mission. And sometimes, guys, I just want us to do this. We really, it's a good idea to meditate on the immensity of Jesus' love for the people around you. It's so important to meditate on Jesus' love for the people around you. David Platt says the following. You think about the worst criminal on the planet, worst terrorist on our planet that our news in our country would have you despise. The reality is God desires that person's repentance. He created that person in his own image. Just contemplate the immensity of his love for all. You think about your coworkers, neighbors, friends, family, people you live around. God loves them all. He loves them all. And Christ's death is sufficient for all. He loves them all. He loves them. But even as you contemplate the immensity of his love for all, then take another step and meditate on the intensity of his love for you. This is the God who spoke and all creation came into being. He spoke a word and you got light and darkness. He spoke a word and you got oceans and mountains. He spoke a word and you got animals. This is the God who right now is sustaining seven billion people in the world. And on top of that number billion people, he's sustaining animals and plants and weathers and insects and everything else. He's sustaining every single detail and this God loves you. Just let that hit you right where you're sitting. And not just the person beside you or in front of you or behind you, right where you're sitting, this God loves you. He loves you and loves you and loves you. Think about that for a moment. Think about the intensity of his love for you. And when you do, it'll take control of you. It'll leave you no choice. The more we understand Jesus' love for us and for everyone around us, the more we'll realize that we don't have the option of living just for ourselves. We have to live for him. We have to live on mission. And this is what we say here at Waypoint Church, one of our plumb lines here is that every member a missionary. And it does not necessarily mean that every member is flying on a plane tomorrow to another country. It does mean that every member lives on mission. That we have a mission, that we're called to a purpose. We're not sent to just have a country club or be on a luxury yacht to sail away with our friends that we like. But we're on a fishing vessel. We do the hard work of loving others well. Because his love compels us. Amen? Amen? Second, let's make sure the gospel redefines us and everyone around us. Verse 16 and 17, Paul says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
that we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. When we come to Jesus, we come completely new. We get new hearts, we get new desires, new motivations, newness. And some of us, gosh, oh, we love that. We need the newness. And we, but, it doesn't, but it doesn't just stop there. It also changes how we see others as well. Paul says we no longer regard anyone else according to the flesh. What does that mean? Let's be real, in our culture, in our, in our area, and the way we look at people often, we basically define people in certain ways, right? We kind of meet each other and we can size each other up by the way they're dressed, the way they look. We can judge people by how much money they make, or what they do for a living, or um, do they help me climb the ladder, or do they get me ahead in life, their social status. That's a normal way of looking at each other. We define each other by gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, and power. That's the norm. But for those of us in Christ, no more. When Jesus gets a hold of us, we start to see people in a totally different way. We see people in a different setting, in a different status, a different way. We start seeing people as those, do you know Jesus or you don't? But you're loved. Your worthiness is not based on how much money you make or what you can get me. Your worthiness isn't based on how you look or how powerful you are. Your acceptance isn't based on what race or ethnicity you are. We start looking at people differently. And we're going to see people not according to their looks or their success or about how much they make, but it, whether they know or not know Jesus, it changes everything. It changes everything. Waypoint Church has another plumb line, and we say this, we live in intentionally diverse communities, only by the gospel and for the gospel. And what that means is that we live in intentionally a diverse community. We can be diverse in our setting. We're pretty much, let's be real about it, not many people can be, but we live intentionally diverse because the gospel says this, that the most powerful factor that binds us together is not our race or socioeconomic status or ethnicity. It's not our, um, our likes or our interests. It's the blood of Jesus. And that before Jesus and before God, we are all sinners, but we're created in his image, made with dignity. And we all want to be known, and we all want to be loved, and we all crave purpose. See, we say we can live in diverse communities because we know the gospel can unite us. But we also do the hard work of living in diverse communities because we believe that when we do so, we show other people the power and the beauty of the message of Jesus Christ. It changes the way we look at people. It changes the way we look at ourselves. And finally, let's make sure God's mission consumes us. Consumes us. When Jesus' love compels us and the gospel redefines us and everyone around us, then let's make sure that the mission of God consumes us. Paul says, we are there for Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love ambassadors, by the way. That was like my dream in my life. I think me and my wife both said this. Our dream was I wish I could be an ambassador. I, mean, I feel like that's the best job ever. But not like, like a country that there's possibility of war with. You know what I'm talking about? But like a really beautiful country that has a lot of good food and it's kind of chill and nobody really cares that much about. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want those powerful, I want one of those, those, those ambassador jobs. That's not the point, but I just wanted to share that with you. 
I love what ambassadors do. They live in a foreign country, they represent their government to the people there. They are authorized to speak on behalf of their government. But here's what they realize. At the country they no matter how long they may live there, that is not their home. That's not their home. Their identity, their citizenship, all comes from a different place. Guys, my people, can I share this with you? We're ambassadors here. This earth, this world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We live here, but we represent another kingdom here. We've been authorized to speak on behalf of our king, and the message is clear. Be reconciled to God. And I love how it says here, we don't just gently make suggestions. It says here, we implore you. We implore you on Christ's behalf. This implore means to beg for something that's indispensable, to urge something. We have an urgency to our message that needs to be delivered. This is the message that God's given to us that we should be consuming. Guys, we're called to be ambassadors. Now, can I tell you this, guys? One of the jobs of the ambassadors is to live in such a way that people are like, oh, that country looks pretty good. Right? One of the jobs of the ambassador is to say that they represent their country well, the values of that country, the, the, the values of the king or the ruler of that country. Guys, can I want to tell you one of the things, our job here, we see this all the time at Waypoint Church, is we're called to be the coming attraction, the preview of the kingdom. We're supposed to live in, in grace and forgiveness and love and unity in such a way that people look at us and say, that's, that's the kingdom? That's the kingdom they're talking about? That's the kingdom they're ambassadors for? Wow, that's a good kingdom. We're supposed to show justice and mercy and righteousness. And guys, can I tell you this? Because we're not perfect, we're supposed to show forgiveness and humility and grace in such a way that they show that those kingdom, those in that kingdom looks like that, then that king must be absolutely incredible. Do you hear me? This is the mission that God has given to us and it should consume us because your identity as an ambassador is the mission that you're sent for. Your, your identity as an ambassador, can I tell you right now, is the mission that God sent you with. And it needs to consume us. We're in danger of mission drift. We must keep our central mission in front of us. It's reconciliation. And we do this to keep Jesus' love in front of us. That's how it changes everything. When God reconciled us, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Let's not miss it. As we come to a close, I want to ask this question. Have you been reconciled to God? Do you first know what that means? And if you haven't, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you don't know what that means, if you don't know what it means to have a relationship with God, if you don't know what it means to be known by him and to be loved by him, if you've not accepted his free gift today, let today be the day that you respond to the message that I want you to get this, I want you to know this, that right now, right where you're at, you can be known and you can be loved and you can have forgiveness and you can have purpose. Let today be the day that you seek that out. And that's you. I implore you on Christ's behalf during our time of singing, will you talk to somebody? One of our prayer team, one of our pastors, we would love to talk to you about how you can be known like that. And if you have been reconciled to God, you realize that you've been given a job. You've been given a mission. You've been given a calling that changes everything. Let his love compel you. 
Let him change the way you see yourself and you see the world. Let his mission consume you. Focus today once again on Jesus' love for you in this world. Let his love wash over you. See people the way that he does and pray for a sense of urgency as you're commissioned to be his ambassador. A good practical way to act in this and to walk in this is something that we've, Pastor Peter shared about already today and I shared a little bit about. I want you to encourage you to consider who you're praying for. Who are you serving? Who are you sharing with? Who are you pleading with God for? Who are you trying to intentionally serve with love and humility? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Articulate the truth of God and his great love. Maybe, maybe pray about it. Maybe put these names down in a prayer list or in your Bible study or your bookmark or your journal. But it's just a practical way to, to walk in this is ask the question of yourself. Because you're an ambassador. An ambassador must share. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for first our own reconciliation with you, that you did it. God, you were the wrong party and you did all the work. Thank you for that. And God, thank you that you just don't leave us there, but you give us the ministry of reconciliation. You call us to such incredible purpose. God, that we can be instruments of reconciliation now in this world around us. Help us, God, to love the triangle and love the nations. Help us to figure out who we're called to pray for, to serve, and to share with. God, as you give people and put them in our past, God, may we be compelled by your love. See them the way you see them and be consumed by your mission. And may that be the identity of this church forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.